turn over to Psalm 150. Give me a minute while I get set up here. And when you got it, why don't you go ahead and stand up as we read God's Word. We already read it once this morning, but uh, we'll do it again, all right? God's Word says this to us this morning. Praise the Lord. Praise God in His sanctuary. Praise Him in His mighty heavens. Praise Him for His acts of power. Praise Him for His surpassing greatness. Praise Him with the sounding of the trumpet. Praise Him with the harp and lyre. Praise Him with tambourine and dancing. Praise Him with the strings and flute. Praise Him with a clash of cymbals. Praise Him with resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let me pray one more time for us. Father, we uh, just ask for your help to pay attention to your word. God, we pray that you would please help me to preach it faithfully and clearly. And God, we pray that you would be glorified in everything that we do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys can take a seat. Well, as we begin Psalm 150, I have a question for us. Have we ever stopped and thought about what we do in the presence of greatness? Think about that. What do you do in the presence of greatness? Think, for example, a young man who is enamored by a woman's beauty. He writes her a passionate love song to tell her about her beauty and the things that he loves about her. Or think about, for example, a young, budding high school football player who gets to meet the football player of his dreams, maybe Tom Brady or uh, another quarterback or, or play, famous player. He starts uh, being starstruck, sputtering out all of his favorite statistics and admiring what kind of quarterback they are or whatever position it may be. Or think about a young teenage girl who gets the rare chance to meet Justin Bieber. <laughs> she starts hyperventilating. She starts uh, singing her favorite songs, maybe out loud if she has the guts to, trying to get coherent words out of her mouth. But she is struck with greatness, and it overcomes her, and she is trying to respond. But there's something inside all of us when we encounter greatness that we are to we respond in a certain way. Whether it's shouts or songs or admiration that inevitably has to bubble out, we respond in some way, even though it may be different for each of us. Well, for us, much more greater than a pro athlete or much greater than uh, uh, the latest pop star is our God. And the question here is, how do we respond to His greatness? If he is greater than anything in this world, how do we respond to his greatness? See, in Psalm 150, we're going to see that in light of God's surpassing greatness, we are to continually and joyfully praise him. So as we look at the greatness of God, our response is praise. Our response is joy. So in this short little psalm, uh, we're going to see a few things, and the first one is the obvious, who we praise. Okay, so who we praise, point number one. 
verse 1 says this, very starting point. Praise the Lord. It begins and ends in the same way. This idea of praising God or hallelujah. It couldn't be more clear who we are to worship. The Lord, the God of the Bible, the God who made you and me, the God who saved you and me, who has been in a special relationship with you and me and with his people since the beginning of time. We call that a covenant relationship. He is our covenant God. He has made special promises to us. And this is who we are to worship. He's the God of Abraham, Moses, David, Mary, Peter, Paul, and down to you and me. That's who we worship. Now, I think it goes without saying, but we need to be reminded that it's not the God of, of Allah or the God of Muslims. It's not Buddha or Confucius. Not one of the millions of, of Hindu gods or goddesses. Not the God of secularism or postmodernism. Not the God of the, the latest top business guy or movie star. He is certainly not you or me. He's not you or me. He is the one true God, has revealed himself in his word, the Bible. This is where we get to know who God is. He has told us who he is. And that's who we worship. He has revealed himself in the world. He has revealed himself in his word. And most clearly has revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And as we stare at Jesus, we see God. See, we were created to be worshipers. That's what we were created to be. When we think about what our number one job is as human beings, it is to worship, to glorify God. That's why we exist. In the beginning of our worship service, we uh, looked together at 1 Corinthians 10.31. So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Or think about the first question in our shorter catechism. What is the chief end of man? The answer, man's chief end is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. This is Christianity 101, right? Why do we exist? We exist for the glory of God. We exist to make Him look great because He is great. Worshiping is why we are here. Praising the Lord is, is not just something that we do on a Sunday morning as we gather. Certainly that's part of it, right? But we, our whole lives are to be lives of worship. Every moment of every day. God is the one who invites us, who initiates to us, and says that He is worthy of all of our praise. And we are the ones that respond, saying, yes, you are, God. We respond saying, you are, for all these different reasons as we'll see in a few minutes. But our job is to worship. God calls us as, his, as our loving Heavenly Father. He calls His children to say, come and to worship me. That's why you were created. You will find no greater joy than when you are worshiping me. So it's fitting that the last psalm in the book of Psalms is a joyful invitation to worship the one true God. See, we've spent almost 13 months looking at the Psalms. The way it ends is worship. There are a lot of things that happen all throughout the book. 
the highest of highs, the lowest of lows. Remember, we've, we've looked at some of these different psalms, yet where it ends is worship and enjoying God. So not only do we see who uh, we are to praise, but next we see what we praise him for. Look at verse 2. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Well, because God is God, we should never have uh, a lack of reasons to praise him, right? We should never fall short of reasons to praise him for who he is and what he has done. We'll never run out. Not now, not in eternity. We'll never run out of reasons to praise and enjoy God. Our earthly worship, whether it's on a Sunday as we gather or whether we go out in the rest of the week in worshiping, is just a preview for the main thing. What will we be doing for all eternity? It's a movie trailer, as it were. But here, the psalmist focuses on one broad category as far as why we praise him. And that is his mighty deeds. So let's take a deeper look at that together. See, the psalmist doesn't tell us what the mighty deeds of God are. It doesn't explain it in more detail. Matthew Henry expands on it this way, saying, For all the instances of his might, the power of his providence, the power of his grace, what he has done in creation, government, and the redemption of the world, for the children of men in general, for his own church and children in particular. So when we praise God, we praise him for any and all of his mighty deeds. Think about this, for example. The Bible is full of them. God creating the world out of nothing. Simply speaking it into existence. A reason to praise God. Think of the ten plagues of Egypt and God's exodus of his people from Pharaoh. Think about how God delivered by his mighty hand David, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Daniel, and others in the face of life-threatening danger. Think about the mighty deeds of Jesus as he walked the earth, the miracles that he did, the people that he healed, the mighty deeds that he performed. I just got done reading the book of Acts, and I love reading the book of Acts because uh, you get to see the mighty acts of God. Right? It's a unique time where the, the Spirit is moving and working and people are being saved by the thousands. The kingdom of God is being advanced in all different kinds of ways. And we just see His mighty deeds. And as I read over the book of Acts, I just come to worship. Longing, yes, for that to happen, but worship. The Bible is a never-ending story of the good and mighty deeds of God. But not only is the Bible full of them, our lives are full of the mighty deeds of God as well. Think about how God created us. He created us fearfully and wonderfully. Every little aspect of our DNA He made, nothing escapes Him in the details. Things that we study and have been studying for thousands of years, and yet we still have only scratched the surface of understanding. And yet God knows. And he created us with all of it. Think about the way that he has kept us alive. The way that he has provided for us. The way that he has loved us. The way that he has delivered us from certain trials in our life. Certain hardships in our life. 
Think back to the times that He has loved you, even when you have treated Him poorly, even as you have ran after other gods as we've been studying in Hosea. Think about the love, the patience of God towards you. Think about the way that He made a way for sinners like you and me to be restored to a right relationship with God through Jesus. I mean, talk about God's mighty deeds. So as we think about this, I want to ask a question. What are some of the mighty acts that you can praise God for today in your life? What are some of the mighty deeds that you can praise God for in your life? Maybe as you think back and you see the ways that He has spared you from making a bad choice or ruining your life. Maybe the way that He led you to Himself and the way that you became a Christian. Maybe the way that He healed you from a serious disease or the way that He kept you through a serious disease. The reasons are endless. Similarly, we can also ask, what are some of the mighty acts that you can praise God for in history or in other people's lives? As you look out on history, as you look out presently on people's lives, how can you praise God for His mighty acts? Maybe it's something that God's done in your parents' life or your grandparents' life. Maybe it's about a missionary that you've read about. But the reasons are endless that we are to praise God for His mighty deeds. But as the psalm continues, we see also how we are to praise Him. Third and finally, how we are to praise Him. Verses 2 through 5 kind of gives us more uh, of an answer to this question of how we are to praise Him. And if you look in verse 2, we are basically told what manner it is that we are to praise Him. And also that God is glorified through the use of various instruments. Look at verse 2. It says, Praise Him according to His excellent greatness. I think here what the psalmist is saying is that we are to praise Him according to the manner of His greatness or in light of His greatness. Listen to how one preacher puts it. There is nothing little about God. There is nothing great apart from Him. If we were always careful to make our worship fit and appropriate for our God or for our great Lord, how much better should we sing? How much more reverently should we adore Such excellent deeds should have excellent praise. Such excellent deeds should have excellent praise. Think about it. If God is the greatest thing in the world, the greatest thing that ever happened to you and to me, then why would we sing to Him like we sing a nursery rhyme to our kid for the thousandth time just trying to get him to fall asleep? Or on the flip side, if God's so great, Why do we sing with more excitement, more joy, more enthusiasm with the latest uh, latest, uh, chart-topping song than we do our praise to Him? Think about it for a minute. This one, this really got to me. I was really convicted, right? Why, when my favorite song gets on the radio or in my car or whatever it may be, why do I sing with more enthusiasm, more joy, more excitement? than I do here on a Sunday morning, for example. It's messed up that you and I get more excited about singing a song that glorifies the things that God hates. 
that pale in comparison to his goodness and his truth. And then we come to God singing half-heartedly or with lack of joy or lack of conviction. The problem with both these scenarios is that the praise is not fitting. It's not fitting to the greatness of God, not according to his awesomeness. See, if God is greater than all these things, then our praise should reflect that. Our singing should reflect that. Our worship should reflect the greatness of God. If God's awesome, then why don't we sing like it? If God's worthy of all praise, then why don't we worship more joyfully? Our praise needs to show that he is awesome, that he's worthy of all praise. And that's not just on a Sunday. That's all throughout the week. We see this joyful worship also with the reality that we are praising, we can praise God through various instruments. I was in the car with Santo the other day, and he said, what would the world be without music? It's an interesting question. What would the world be without music, right? For some of us, God has gifted us with musical talent. It's a wonderful way to worship the Lord, right? Think about the essential role that music plays in our lives. We listen to music on the way to work. We listen to music in our house. We listen to music while we're cleaning or while we're studying. And I often think about how much better life would be if it was actually a movie trailer. Why do I say that? Because the movie trailer has all the highlights of the movie and it's the background is music, right? And so, you know, think about it. If you were walking around and those, those uh, boring moments turn into exciting moments because there's music playing in the background, right? <laughs> you know, most of the time we watch movies and, and it's, it would actually be very dull and boring if there was no music. And yet, how cool would it be to walk around if you had the dramatic music in the background? It makes ordinary events seem so much more meaningful. But music is an essential part of our lives. Again, a way that God created us. God created us to express ourselves musically. Some people do that better than others. I'm one of the worst ones. Yeah. But it's important for us to know what God thinks about music. The psalm gives us the, the very clear answer that God loves music when it's used in the right way. Look again at verses 3 through 5. God gives us a, a picture that, God, that we can use various instruments in our worship. Now commentators point out that these various instruments were used in different ways at different times in Israel's worship. Whether it's for a, a ceremony or a festival or, or temple worship or whatever it may be. But note a few important things here. The first one's this, that the instruments are varied. It's not just one single set-apart instrument. No one instrument or type of instrument has the corner market with God. All right? So an organ is not more holy than a guitar and vice versa. All right? There are different instruments. Also, these instruments can be loud, not just soft. Okay? So we can worship God with a loud noise. And we can worship God with a quiet noise. We also see here that the mention of these instruments in praise indicates, indicates that God loves music. 
God wants us to express our praise through music. Charles Spurgeon, he said this, The gospel meaning is that all powers and faculties should praise the Lord. All sorts of persons, under all circumstances, with differing constitutions, should do honor unto the Lord of all. If there be any virtue, if there be any talent, if there be any influence, let all be consecrated to the service of the universal benefactor. So this goes in line with, with a theme all throughout the Psalms, which is make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Right? That's what Psalm 150 is all about, making a joyful noise to God. That's why one of our core values as a church is joyful worship. Because when we recognize who God is and what he has done for us, it should lead us to joyful worship. Remember we said earlier that our, our worship should reflect how great God is? Well, part of that is the way that joy is expressed in our music and in our instruments as we worship together. That's not to say that the joy is the only tune that we have, or happy tunes are the only tunes that we have. We've seen the Psalms already give us a language to, un to explain the depths of pain in our lives, the hardest times, the times that we are hurting. And those songs are appropriate as well. But remember, joy can still be in the midst of sorrow. Because it's not based on our circumstances. And so we can joyfully worship the Lord through a quiet song. We can joyfully worship the Lord through a song that talks about our pain and our struggles. Because it's not based on our circumstance. It's based on the promises and the goodness of God. See, Psalm 150 ends saying, Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. See, this psalm has a, a cosmic element to it, meaning it's, it's talking about the whole world and everything that God created, giving Him glory. See, we don't just give God glory. The things that God created all over the world gives glory to God. The animals and the, the ocean and, and the mountains and everything sing praise to our God. All of God's creation sings a joyful song of praise. Now as we come to a close, one of the things I've tried to do in each of the Psalms is to make a connection to Christ. It's really important for us to realize and to read the Psalms in light of Jesus. To say what does this have to teach us about Jesus or how is this connected to Jesus? Well, how do we do that here? Well, remember in the beginning we said that we were created to be worshipers, right? That's why God created us. Well, after the fall, our natural bent was to worship other things. Good things, bad things, everything in between. We, we, we would take these things and we would worship the thing in and of itself, right? Romans 1 is very clear about that. And this is why we need Jesus. This is why we need His life and His death and His resurrection. So that not only are we forgiven of our idolatry and our misplaced worship, 
And we are only forgiven in Christ, but in Christ our worship and our praise is healed, is restored, is reoriented. And so instead of worshiping the thing in and of itself, our eyes turn back to the one who made it. So through Jesus, our worship is reoriented back to God. We now have a right perspective about who God is. We see him according to his greatness. If it wasn't for Jesus, we wouldn't be able to do that. We wouldn't be able to sing a joyful song of praise to the Lord. When Jesus saves us, when we repent of our sins and we put our trust in him, he makes you and me new people. And as new people, he corrects our praise. He restores our worship. He reorients us back to a life with him where we can truly praise him for who he is and what he has done. And that can only happen through Jesus. So how can we keep the commandment, praise the Lord? It is only through Christ. I said in the beginning that this is Christianity 101. Our whole lives exist for the glory of God. We need to be reminded of these basic things sometimes. Just as Pastor Santo has been teaching and, and preaching on a series of the means of grace, those are things that we've got to go back to day in, day out, no matter if you've been walking with God for one day or 80 years. This is very much the same way. Our lives exist for the glory of God. We need to learn that day one of our Christian lives. But we also need to learn that every single day thereafter. That we exist to worship and glorify Him because He's worthy of all of our praise. We tend to forget that and that's why we need the reminder of Psalm 150. Amen? Amen. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank You for this short little psalm. Psalm 150 is a, a beautiful call to worship. And uh, God, we just say uh, we're sorry for worshiping other things. God, we say that we're sorry for running from you and to the things that you hate. We're sorry for uh, singing more excitedly about those things that you don't like, Lord, that are against you. And yet when we come to praise you, our hearts... They don't seem very joyful. Our words don't seem very uplifting. God, we thank you for Jesus who not only saves us from our sin, but reorients our lives back to you and helps us to understand why we were created. So many people in this world don't know why they were created. And yet we do as your people. And so we pray that we would find our greatest joy in worshiping you. And Lord, that our lives would be a joyful song unto you, not just on a Sunday morning as we gather, but every minute of every day throughout the week. God, we need your help to be able to do this, and we just beg of it now, Lord, as we praise you. We love you, and we thank you for loving us. We thank you for our study of the Psalms, Lord, and, and we thank you for uh, just the, the many uh, truths that we have learned about you throughout the whole book. We pray, Lord, that as we move on to something else, God, that you would continue to teach us about yourself and that we would live uh, lives of joyful worship. We love you and we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.